Hi, my name is Pastor Tony Garbarino of Providence Presbyterian Church. We're delighted that you tuned in to hear a message from God's Word. If you'd like to find more information about us, please go to providencefw.org, providencefw.org. We seek to be Bible-based, gospel-saturated, and Christ-centered. So please enjoy now this message. Thanks for coming. We continue this morning in our sermon series through 2 Corinthians. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning. 2 Corinthians 4, and we'll be reading verses 7 to 12. Verses 7 to 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Again, please give your full attention. This is the word of our God. Let us pray before we actually hear from the Lord. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before you great humility and delight to do so, to hear from you. Lord, we bask in the privilege of knowing your presence as we worship you together now, and we thank you, Father, that you were holy and that you indeed promised to and do, through your Spirit, clean out from us, purge from us all that is unholy and unclean, that you are gracious and powerful to deal with us in our sinfulness and our brokenness. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are merciful and able to do so, to lift, up, lift us up in our weakness and in our frailty, and that you are strong and good and true and gracious. And we pray, Lord, again, as we turn to you again and to your word, as we listen to every word that comes forth from your mouth, that you would place that word in our hearts once more, that there we may begin to love you in new ways. Place it in our minds that we may understand your ways better. Touch our wills by it, that we may submit our wills gladly in joy to your perfect wisdom and sovereign will, that all of our days we may learn how to glorify and to indeed enjoy you forevermore. So we come now to you again, Lord. and We ask, speak, for your servants are listening. We pray all this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting at verse 7. Again, please give your full attention to God's Word. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Grass withers and the flowers fall, but this word of the Lord indeed endures forever. May he have his blessing upon it. Well, in the last verses that we'll get to next week, likely, um, the last verses of chapter 4, Paul talks about, he says that we are wasting away. We are wasting away. And I don't think that I'm the only one who feels the impact and reality of feeling like I'm wasting away. Um, Even you younger people, uh, you too will soon feel the reality of your finitude. You will soon feel the reality of your breaking down body in this breaking down world. 
And when Paul says this, though, he is not focused merely really about starving or perishing from a disease. Paul says we are wasting away because of the fall on the human race into sin. Right? Not merely physical, but spiritual. And though humanity spends tons of money, right, and our culture spend millions and millions of dollars and does everything that they can to deny or put this reality out of mind, the fact remains we are wasting away because of the curse brought upon us by our first parents. Right? We are dying. We are wasting away. But notice, even though this is the case, and this is a theme throughout what Paul is saying here, it does not cause him to despair or to lose heart or to give up on the Corinthians to whom he is writing. Uh, notice the bracketing or the bookends of chapter 4 here. Where Paul began in verse 1, remember he said, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Right? And, then in our, and then later at the end of chapter 4, in verse 16, he says, we do not lose heart. Right? This is a theme, and this brackets what he's saying. And Paul here looks forward to the glories of the age to come. And that jar of clay that he speaks of, the tent that he'll go on to talk about in chapter 5, is our, which is our body, will not last forever. But our resurrection bodies will. Our resurrection bodies will indeed last forever. They are fit for and made and designed for glory in eternity with him. And therefore, even this being the case, even in our human frailty and weakness and finitude, we know from the promises of God and the reality of our future glorified resurrection bodies, we do not lose heart. We are not discouraged. Rather, we are what? Being renewed, he says, day by day. Being renewed. And in God's wonderful providence, brothers and sisters, even those afflictions that he mentions, that we go through, that you go through, are preparing for us, he says, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And so as we continue in 2 Corinthians, uh, this is where Paul has come to, right? This contrast between the frailty of human nature in light of the glories of the age to come. And indeed, he'll go on to carry this theme into chapter 5, but remember what Paul's been doing. He's been defining and defending his apostolic calling in his office uh, in light of the criticisms and attacks raised against him by certain men in the church of Corinth. And these men have had confidence in their own natural abilities, right? And they've been successful in some ways by their standards. On the other hand, we have Paul, the Apostle Paul, who has admitted his physical weakness in his flesh and his frailty. And in doing so, he can rely wholly on the power of God, right? Not his own practiced flowery speech or his slick rhetoric. He relies on the power of the Lord in all that he does. And he knows that God's power is revealed in the proclamation of this crucified Savior, right? Which was what? To the, to, to the world there. It's foolish and scandalous. In contrast, Right, these false teachers, these false apostles, did not understand this at all. And they avoided saying anything that might offend their hearers. And I think you can all see that this very sentiment has persisted down throughout history. Right? There are entire industries using the name of Christ that purposefully avoid all things they think would, the world would find offensive. These are the same folks who pre preach a theology of glory 
and denies the reality of the cross and suffering and affliction and hardship. They promise, you've heard it, your best life now. And they refuse to tell people the reality of their sin and its offense towards a perfectly holy and just God who made them. I remember years ago hearing a very prominent pastor really begin to freak out when an interview that he was uh, it was the guy who was interviewing him, um, he suggested that the law must precede the gospel and that man must understand the, his misery in order to understand the magnitude of God's mercy in Christ. And he was shocked and he was taken aback and he got loud. And he said, oh, you can't tell them that. That will drive them away. I never use the language of God's wrath or man's sinfulness. I never tell them of their sinfulness. That won't win people. That will just drive them away, he said. And so this idea of the false teachers, the very similar thing of giving people what they want to hear rather than the truth of God's word, it's still something to contend with in, even in our day. In addition to this, right, what's more is that this flowery speech, it doesn't really help in times of trouble. It doesn't help. Because you can tell someone about their best life now all that you want. And you can do so in a very convincing way that sounds very wonderful to them. But for the person going through the nausea from a radical damage of treatment on their body for a disease, or for the one who's in hospice care, all the flowery speech in the world won't truly help and it won't truly comfort them. Because their life in that moaning, that, that moment is a living testimony to the lie that anything in this world is their best life. And so Paul reminds the Corinthians that God is the source of all comfort, and God alone. Nothing in this pathetic world truly comforts or satisfies the soul. Christ alone is the only satiation for the soul of man. And Paul has explained the greater glory of the new and better covenant the lasting covenant, the eternal covenant. And so we come now to chapter 4, and Paul continues to explain the glories of that better covenant. And here he uses the weakness of our physical bodies to do so. And he says our physical weakness should point us ahead to that which is eternal, which does not waste away. Our weaknesses, our frailty, they should make us realize the glory of God's promise to his people. And the glorious contrast of that and life eternal with Jesus Christ. And so remember how Paul began this chapter, chapter 4, speaking of the wonder of the gospel, right? the, the wonder and light of the gospel in verses 1 to 6. And then he goes on to talk about the weakness of our bodies, right? to show us the glory of eternity in verses 7 to 12. And then finally, perhaps next week, we'll talk about the weight of hope of the glory of Christ in the remainder of the chapter, verses 13 to the end. Uh, but first, remember what Paul has said in verses 1 to 6, briefly, about the wonder of the gospel. Right? He showed the superiority of the new covenants to the old covenants. And he talks about how this superiority affects the way that he preaches the gospel. Right? Remember, he said, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. And again, we'll come back to this in verse 16. God is the one who had called Paul to this new covenant ministry of preaching Christ, Christ crucified for sinners. 
God has been merciful to Paul despite his weaknesses and his struggles and his imperfections and his frailties and his illness. And because of this, Paul does not lose heart even when preaching the gospel to people whose hearts and minds are blinded and veiled to it. It's through the preaching of the gospel that the Holy Spirit removes the veil and reveals the glory of Christ to those whom the Father chooses to do so. Perfectly. With complete success. And in fact, it's this confidence that Paul has in the power of the Holy Spirit that really characterizes the whole New Covenant era. This is why Paul does not rely on his own speaking skills or his own charismatic personality. right? Because that's not where the power is. The power is of the Holy Spirit working through the Word. And so he can say in verse 5, he defends his ministry and says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Right? Preaching the gospel is preaching Christ. Sharing the gospel is sharing Christ. God's faithful servants preach Christ preeminently, foundationally, through and through Jesus Christ, crucified for sinners. And they preach Christ regardless of whether that message is hard or unpopular or distasteful for the world, uh, regardless of fear of driving people away. They preach it in boldness because that's the command in Scripture, and that's where the promise of the power is, in the preaching of the gospel. And that's a theme we've discussed a number of times throughout Paul's letters to the Corinthians. We trust the Spirit more than we fear sinful man. Right? We trust the Lord more than we fear how others will react to what the Lord is doing. It's the Lord that's doing it. We need not fear. We trust in boldness. We speak the truth in love. Right? That's the command, Ephesians 4. And so because we know that the Lord will have his way, we know that this is the case. Remember, he said this in the first chapter of the first letter to the Corinthians, where he says, For the word of the cross is what? Folly to those who are perishing. It's foolishness to them. But to us who are being saved is the power of God. It is the power of God. Why is that? It's because it's through this message that God's glory is put on full display. It's manifest in all its noonday noon, sun brightness and, and, and brilliance. And then in verse 6, Paul gave that wonderful crescendo, that wonderful climax to what he was saying. And he says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Right? What a wonderful sentence. What a wonderful passage. That indeed alone, I would contend to you, brothers and sisters, you could meditate on for the remainder of your days. What a wonderful, rich, and full passage. And the sentiment behind it, right? The God of creation, of all creation, the Creator, He spoke into the dark and it was filled with light. When God speaks, things happen. And in the same way, He shone the light of the gospel into our hearts. Right? God spoke and he created faith and life. And those hearts do not give up in despair. They do not give in to despair. And this light of life is contrasted to the darkness of Satan's deceit in all false religion. And this light gives us a true knowledge of God. And it shows us God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Right? Remember that one who exegetes the Father 
John 1.18. He exegetes, he reveals, he makes known, he makes manifest the Father. And if you remember back to the end of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, he made this emphatic point about Christ's real, true, bodily resurrection. That it was the first fruits of that great harvest that happens at the end of the age. And his resurrection is the first fruits of the resurrection of our bodies. Just as certainly as his resurrection happened, so too will those who are united to him and belong to him, who name his name. And this is so important, brothers and sisters, when we think about our own physical weakness and frailty and wasting away. And the point that the Spirit is making here in the Word is that as surely as Jesus rose from the dead, that first resurrection Sunday, just as certainly also, all who are united to Christ through faith will be raised. And we think about Paul, right? Paul was a man who was well acquainted with weakness and suffering and frailty. You remember, after Paul's conversion, right? Saul, before he was Paul, there was this encounter with this man, this Damascus man, called Ananias, and this encounter with the Lord that he had. And the Lord tells Ananias to lay his hands on Paul. But Ananias has heard of Paul, Saul's, uh, the evil that he's done to believers. And so Ananias is apprehensive. What? What are you talking about? Don't you know what this guy did? But the Lord tells Ananias about Paul in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, and he says, But the Lord said to him, Ananias, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Then he says this, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake, for the sake of my name. Right? And so Paul certainly did suffer for the name of Jesus. And he could say from real experience, real history, how we as God's people should think about our weakness and frailty. And at its core, Paul's message is what? It's that we must always see those things in light of the certainty of the reality of our resurrection. Right? All of our own weakness and sickness, all of the pains and strains that we go through in this world should point us reflexively to that which awaits us in glory. Always seeing in, in light of the resurrection that is a sure reality for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The light of the gospel and the glory of the new covenant. The light of the gospel to perspectivize you, right? The light of the gospel to, uh, it's our perspective corrective, right? It corrects our outlook on life and everything. It must do so. It is that which combats all those voices that lie to you and that flood our every waking moment. The lies that tell you how to think and what to think, drawing you and influencing you away from the truth of Scripture and the reality and truth of what it testifies about you, away from the truth about who you are in Christ. We must aggressively refuse and deny those voices and allow the truth of God's Word to inform our minds to wash our brainwashed minds away from this world in the truth of what he testifies about us in his word. We, in his word, we are dead to sin and alive to walk in newness for Christ, for the Lord, 
newness of life. It's a deadly and dangerous and destructive thing if we refuse to do so, if we, do not, if we are not careful about these things. Because it will only get worse, it seems, in our culture. I mean, I think every generation says it's worse than it was in the last. There seems to be an escalation, right? The persecution and attacks, they've always been with us and they always will be with us against the followers of Jesus. But lately there has been a blatant and aggressive devaluing of believers and a silencing of believers in general, in general discourse, and radically in the public square. We will indeed be ground down and more and more attacked and marginalized. It will become more and more difficult to be comfortable in this backwards, sin-obsessed culture. But by the way, remember that we're not called to comfort in this world, right? It's been appointed for us to suffer, the New Testament tells us. But we as God's people, we need to take greater and bolder stands for our Savior and our faith, deliberately, consciously, purposefully. Our world is indeed, to borrow a term from them, Christophobic, right? It is Christ-hating. It is a blind world. But God has his elect all around, right? Those whom he's decreed to be his. And he is powerful and he is sovereign. And his providence and his power are greater than this wicked Christ-hating world all around us. And so in boldness, we proclaim the gospel and we share the gospel. We proclaim and share the gospel and we live our lives faithful to Jesus and trust that God will strengthen us and will use even us to bring his people in. Right? Isn't that an amazing thing? To use people pathetic as we. He also uses these things as a reminder of our weakness and his strength. Right? It's a pointer to what is greater. The glory and reality of the new covenant in our eternal life. Our true home in heaven with Christ. Right? A glorious thing, brothers and sisters. Well, in the next point, in verse 7, Paul goes on to show this and he speaks of the weakness of fallen man, right? the weakness of our physical bodies. Verse 7, he says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Right? Clay jars were a common thing in the first century. They were common to store goods, dry goods particularly. Uh, but those jars were very easily broken. They were fragile. Um, and so there was a common expression for weak and fragile things. They would call them clay jars, right? Something that was weak and fragile, you refer to it as a clay jar, an earthen vessel, to use the old uh, language. We might refer to something that is weak and fragile as a teacup or as china, right? Remember when my son was little, I would encourage him uh, to, to be strong and to not be fearful. And I would say, don't, you're not a teacup. You're not going to break. You know, go get out there and do it. And that's the case, right? But they would use the phrase, a clay jar, right? Something was a clay jar, was weak or fragile or frail. But in Paul's analogy, as we look at what he's saying here in verse 7, what is it that is the treasure in the clay jars, right? What is the treasure in the clay jars? What is the reference to this treasure in verse 7? We have this treasure, Right? Well, it's what he just been, got done talking about in verse six. It's, it's six. it's the knowledge of the glory of Christ. Right? The knowledge of the glory of Christ. And for Paul, this is supremely important. Right? We may be fragile. 
and susceptible to sickness and sin and weakness and instability and even dying and on and on. But we have in us a treasure, right? The greatest treasure, which is the truth of the gospel. And Paul uses this picture of our lives as believers as he continues on in verses 8 and 10, and he gives this litany, this list of uh, describing who and how we are in this world. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair, right? not losing heart. Persecuted, but never forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Right? It's an incredible thing. Incredible thing. In this world, we can and will get beaten up right? in our culture, in our world. And there is a daily descent, more and more and more insidious, it seems. And we can truly feel like we're on the brink of despair. Right? Even like Paul, remember he said, I dis- we despaired unto life itself. And we can feel this way at the ups and downs of life in a fallen world. Not to mention our own feeble hearts and our own lack of power, it seems, against the lingering sin in our hearts. Those three great enemies, uh, we still confront them, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Brothers and sisters, if you feel like this, as I do at times, do not despair. Do not lose heart. Because in the end, because of all that Christ has done, His life, death, and resurrection, if you belong to Him, if your life is hidden with Him in God, though a fragile clay jar currently, yes we are, but you will be raised imperishable at the end of the age. That is the promise that He gives us. It is a glorious promise. And it's a promise that should impact all of our life, all of our day-to-day living, and thinking, and doing, and acting, and praying. I encourage you to consider that this Lord's Day and even into your week. What a glorious and rich and encouraging promise to you, His people, dear Christian. Praise your glorious King and Redeemer. He is what? He has earned heaven for you. Heaven must be earned. And it was for you who call in the name of Christ. Isn't that awesome? Now go and live in gratitude and joy and boldness for Him and all that you do. And then notice how Paul continues. In verse 11 and 12, he says, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Right In his day-to-day life, Paul knows He knows the very real possibility that those who hate Jesus and hate the gospel are seeking to kill him. And this may come at any day. But pay pay attention to this really incredible mess thing that he says here. He says it's through the weakness of our mortal flesh that Jesus is made manifest. Right? Isn't that incredible? And this is, of course, analogous, it's synonymous with that the verse later that talks about. the power of Christ being made perfect in our weakness. right? When he pleads, take this thorn from me. And he says, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Similar here, through the weakness of our mortal flesh, 
Jesus is made manifest. Right? He says, we are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that, right? So that what? So that the life of Jesus may be manifested, revealed, shown, disclosed, made visible, made clear, put on display. And how is that manifested? In what? It says, in our mortal flesh. It's incredible. Incredible. Foolishness to the world. It is the power of God and wisdom of God to do so. And so even if Paul's life ends in violence because of his commitment to Jesus and the gospel, this did not discourage him. Did not discourage him. In fact, we know from history that it was the Emperor Nero that put Paul to death in Rome just a few years after he wrote this letter to the Corinthians. So we have death, right? The decaying body, the decaying of his body, and the unyielding threat of violence against him. Paul, they were his constant companions. But nevertheless, through his preaching of Christ crucified, life came to those who heard him and embraced this message as they were given faith to do so by the Lord himself. It's an amazing thing. We'll pick up on the rest of this, uh, this, this chapter, uh, verses 13 to 18, next week. But consider this as we conclude. The wonder of the gospel. Right? The wonder of the gospel that you profess and confess to believe and embrace. Brothers and sisters, bring this evermore to the front of your thinking, in the front of your brain, in your living, in your acting the glory and wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is no small thing. It is everything. Oh, what a magnificent and wonderful act of God to make certain His people's eternal life with Him in glory. It's incredible. Christ's life for yours. His death for yours. In your place. Light and glory indeed, brothers and sisters. May we never grow tired or bored of the glory of the gospel. Pray that you do not. May it never become old or stale for you. Because there is nothing more wonderful or glorious than what Jesus did to glorify himself in securing life for you, his people. And let us always, dear Christian, in all of our pain and turmoil, and certainly when you are weak and feel that you're uh, at the end of your rope, that you have no rope left, let us always remember that these afflictions are indeed, what did he say? Light, and only for a moment. And then we have the certainty, the promise of our heavenly, from our Heavenly Father that a time is coming, right? A time is coming, and never forget this as well. Keep this at the front of your thinking, along with the gospel promise, because it's a ramification and an outflowing of it. A time is coming, when he will indeed wipe away all pain and all suffering and all tears forever. They will be no more ever forever. What a glorious promise we have, dear Christian. And these decaying, wasting away bodies will give way to glorious resurrection bodies fit for our final home in glory where we will spend eternity not only with one another, with our faithful, tender, and powerful Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us praise Him and thank Him and seek His glory in all that we do. It is a wonderful thing to be called by His name.
and to get to live for him in this world and the next. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we come again before you. We confess it is not what our hands have done that can cleanse our guilty souls. It is only the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, the provision of your grace. This is such a simple message. We confess it is so hard for us to believe in our frailty, in our foolishness, and in our weakness. Lord, we are weak of faith, even as we are weak in our bodies, in relationships, and emotions, in our minds. We often see this wasting away as alarming. Help us to see it as part of your plan and your way to draw our eyes and our hearts towards glory, to that which is better, to that which is best. Help us to see it as the result of sin and more so as the brokenness which Jesus came to reverse. But We pray, O oh Lord, that we would listen to what you've told us in your word and recognize that our hope is only in the Lord and in his grace. And Lord God, by the power of your spirit, give us strength to live out the message that we have heard this morning. Father, we want to embrace these truths and to taste the sweetness of the gospel. May we indeed find our life in Christ. We do pray, Lord, that you would use providence for the furtherance of the gospel, for the building up of your people, for bringing people from death to life for your glory by the work of the gospel and your spirit working in their lives and even in our lives. Lord, we pray, prosper our labors here. Give us boldness in our discussions with others. Bring opportunities for those discussions, even if that's simply offering to bring them to worship. Lord, be with us, we pray, and grow us in depth and number. Do a work in this area and glorify yourself by this small outpost of your kingdom. Lord, we pray for those who suffer around the world. We see this ongoing gross and demonic persecution and murder of so many, Lord, whether it's China or the Muslim world. And our hearts break and we are sickened and horrified by it. We ask, Lord, help us to remember that the blinding power of sin and Satan is real. And help us to see that these aren't trivial things, but that there is a mighty battle, spiritual and physical, that's taking place. Help us to glory that you are sovereign and ultimately victorious over all. Help us to remember our family, Lord, our extended family, the church universal in prayer. Lord, we pray suppress the work of the evil one in those places and even the genocide of the unborn in our country. Lord, we pray destroy the works of the devil as is in accord with your plan. Lord, we pray even for all of us. Help us to have hearts full with your love, living lives in a way that others would see and wonder by your people's love and faithfulness. Lord, we pray indeed use us in our lives to witness to your power and your faithfulness, your steadfast love. We praise you, Father, that you have fed us again this morning as we have heard your word. May we see that this is our life and sustenance in the midst of plenty, even in famine. We ask, gracious Father, continue to be with us and walk with us as we seek to be faithful and grow in Jesus. 
We ask all these things in the mighty name of this same Jesus. For we pray in his name. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in this morning. Uh, if you'd like more information uh, about Providence, if you're in the greater Fort Wayne area and would like to visit us, please go to our website, providencefortwayne.org. If you'd like to give, if you were blessed by this message, if you'd like to have more information about the faith or about growing in your faith, uh, we'd love for you to get connected with us. Thank you. We've set up a simple way for you to give to our church online. If you want to give a quick gift, enter an amount, select a fund, then enter your email address and your first and last name. Then enter your payment details and click Give. And that's it. We'll send a receipt to your email address. To use a saved payment method or manage a recurring donation, you'll want to log in. Click the Login button and we'll send a code to your phone or email account. Verify the code and you're in. Now your payment info is ready to go when you want to make a donation. To manage your giving details, switch over to the My Giving page. Here you'll see more ways you can give. You can also add a payment method, a bank account or a debit card, set up a recurring donation, and view your giving history. To get started, visit our website or download the Church Center app in your Android or Apple App Store.